Welcome to the Lindsay Hadley Podcast Show. I'm coming to you from the North Shore of Oahu, where weekly I interview some of the world's most inspiring people from business, philanthropy, and entertainment. I love collecting humans, and these are some of my favorites I've found along the way. This podcast is brought to us by Capita Financial Network. Do you need help with the next steps of your financial plan? Think Capita. Capita is a financial network built around you. They have a team of financial advisors, CPAs, state attorneys, Medicare providers, and social security experts to help you accomplish your financial goals. Call or schedule a complimentary consultation at 801-566-5058 or visit their website at capitafinancialnetwork.com. You can also check out their financial education podcast, The Financial Call, available on Apple, Google, Spotify, and YouTube. Hi, welcome to the Lindsay Happy Podcast Show. Today we have Jeff Hoffman as a guest, and I'm so excited to uh, introduce and get to meet Jeff. This is our first time meeting. I've heard incredible things about you, Jeff, from our mutual friend, Jess Larson. And as I've looked into your background, it's just awe-inspiring what you've accomplished in your life. Um, You know, you've got a background in business, having helped multiple companies go to billion-dollar status. And you've also spent time as a a music producer, a film producer, and in addition to that, a major philanthropist. I'd love for you to share a little bit of your story. Maybe start, you know, I know it's hard to sometimes capture our lives in a quick introduction, but love to hear how you would share a little bit who Jeff Hoffman is and and how you got to where you are today. Thanks so much for coming on, Jeff. Again, Lindsay, thanks for having me. I'm uh, really happy to be here. Um, Yeah, so, you know, I'm actually a software engineer by trade, uh, which led to only half the things I ever did. Um, I actually grew up, uh, in the Arizona desert with a single mom who had four kids and three jobs and no money. Uh, so everything, even back then, just out of concern for my mom being stressed out and working all the time, I was kind of the little, not that I knew the word entrepreneur, but I was a hustler. I would walk down the street, knock on doors and ask them if there's any chores I could do for them that they'd give me a few bucks for. So I was always used to the relationship between wanting something, usually with sports equipment, and working hard to get it yourself. Uh, So even though I didn't know that was entrepreneurship, I kind of grew up that way. And in fact, when I wanted to go away to college, I went away to a college that I really wanted to go to, and I got kicked out the first day because we didn't have any money. Um, So uh, I actually wound up doing a little startup in the basement of the college to fund my college education uh, because otherwise I was... Wow. (laughs) (laughs) So, so you, you ended up in college, yeah. And where did you head from there, getting kicked out of college? <laughs> I've got, well, you know, I, I they told me I had to go home. So I went down the basement, started a company, and I funded my whole college education. Um, obviously, I never went home. Uh, I have got a software engineering degree, though, Lindsay, because everyone told me that's where the good jobs were. And so I went out and I got a good job at a good company and a good paycheck. But in all honesty, I didn't have a good life. I actually hated my job every day. I would just stare at the clock waiting for it to end. It was not fulfilling. It was not joy. It was just a paycheck. And one day after only a few years in corporate America, I just walked out and quit. Uh, And my, not that I had a plan and I had no money in the bank. So now I'm broke, unemployed uh, with no savings account, no food in the fridge. But even that was better than looking at if my whole life was going to be in that cubicle doing that thing. I just couldn't do it. I was like, I don't know what's going to happen if I just walk out of here, but I know what's going to happen if I don't. Um, and so that's the genesis of my start, my entrepreneurial career. I've been doing 
startups my entire life since then. I've been been part of eight of them that we launched over all those years. Oh, Jeff, that is um, really cool what you just shared and deep insight that a lot of times they say like the definition of insanity is doing something that we know has the same outcome, right? And expecting a different outcome. I mean, the fact that you have the bravery to say, I know where this is leading me and I'm not happy, so I'll take whatever's behind this other door is just uh, really compelling. I think a lot of people could relate to that in their lives, like whatever it is, if they feel stuck or right. despondent about a situation. So I love that. So eight different startups, one of which is bookings.com, which everybody is familiar with. That's a global phenom brand. Can you tell us about the different companies and, sure. and do you have a favorite and maybe love to hear the the color commentary behind these incredible sure? behemoth brands you built? Probably the, the favorite is the first one uh, because... I was so, uh, you know, as I just told you, now I'm unemployed and I'm broke and I'm 20 something years old and I walked out of my job and everyone's mad at me because I had a good job, right? My mom's like, what is wrong with you? I had a good job and a paycheck and I quit. And, you know, a lot of times, by the way, to point the point you just made, Lindsay, when people ask about fear of failure, uh, I, they always say, how do you deal with that? I just look at the alternative, Right. The thing I'm doing is scarier, is scary, but you know what's scarier? If I have to go back to where I was and have to deal with the boss and the life I had. So it drives you to look at sort of your worst case. Um, and that that's what kind of pushed me forward. But anyway, so I was broken, unemployed, um, and uh, everyone's mad at me. And I bought an airline ticket to go see a guy that I wanted to mentor me. I was hoping to talk him into that. And, uh, when I got to the airport, there was like a zillion people and the lines were miles long. And back then you had to wait to uh, talk to a human to get your boarding pass. You had to check in at the counter. That was the only way to check in. Sure, you're right. Do you get someone at the counter hits print and hands you a boarding pass and then you can go through security. And in the more than an hour, almost hour and a half that it took uh, in that line, I missed the flight. And when you change a flight, you pay a change fee. If you just miss it, they take the whole money. And when you're broke and unemployed, that's pretty painful. So I got particularly upset that day. And that's what led to my first startup. I kind of went home and that Friday uh, took out a pencil and started drawing. And so today, when you go to an airport and you check yourself in at one of those kiosks, you know what I'm talking about, right? Yeah, um, absolutely. Yeah, those check-in kiosks are now pretty much in airports all over the world. But that was my first creation. Um, and so I launched a company, no idea how to launch a company. I only ever had one job and I failed at it. Um, and so now I got this idea that I could maybe make a kiosk that people could check themselves in. So I never miss another flight. Uh, but everything about starting a company, hiring people, getting some financing, building the product, marketing it, and marketing it, never done any of those things. No idea how. So that's probably my favorite company uh, because everything was a challenge. Everything was a learning experience. Lindsay, you have those ups and downs. One day, the little bit of money that I had went into uh, building a prototype. And one day, the little group of employees I had went running full speed out of the office past me. And I get up and I was like, where is everybody going? And as they stream into the parking lot, they yell back, the prototype's on fire. And I'm like, are you guys just going to oh, leave? No. You're just running oh, out? no. Are you just going to leave me here? And they're like, we're fanning out to other offices to find a fire extinguisher, but they still let me in the building. So, you know, you're doing <laughs> the brilliant things. Um, but 
that. We got a prototype built that worked. I was able to get, I needed to actually, I didn't need money so much to create it, but I had some people helping me and I needed to pay them. And then I needed to order a couple of actual prototypes, right? Where you need a manufacturer to make them and that costs money. So I was able to get a first investor and kind of the rest is history. We, even though I was not money driven, I was freedom driven. I just don't want to have to yeah. work, work before. Um, we were making a lot of money um, because everybody was buying them. And then we got even luckier because I was able to, in year four, we sold the company. Um, Jeff, so that's that an was an amazing story. That's like your first startup that has impacted the entire world. I feel everyone has ever traveled. I travel regularly. I'm taking a flight tonight and I'll be, you know, for sure using the kiosk. I'm headed out of Honolulu where I'm based to Utah where I'm from. And I was just going to say, like, were you the first, what was the name of that company, A? And then were you the first to market with that concept? Absolutely, were you literally the inventor? We were, and we had some patents on the on the software side of it, which helped, uh, which is why people bought the company instead of just trying to compete with us back then. But um, yeah, we had a, a, a super creative name. It was called Electronic Ticketing Machines. <laughs> that's what they were. ATM was already taken. Um, uh, uh, and you know, they didn't have, the point is each time we would sell them, they'd be painted in the color of that airline, right. With their logos on them. So it wasn't about us. It was just about, about getting paid to do that. You know, it's funny, Lindsay, even today, all these years later, every once in a while, I'll get a, a text and it's a photo of somebody that was in a hurry standing by a kiosk, moving up their boarding pass. And they'll just text me. Thank you. With a smiley oh, face. That's beautiful. Not, <laughs> That's uh, so sweet. And, and you know, yeah, it's funny that's that it. that's what stays with you. Like you obviously had huge monetary values, huge success in a, in a business sense and you parlayed it into others, which I've decided to hear about. But I, something that Jess said about you is that your favorite thing to do is find out how to create more value for others, that you're really focused on, you know, blessing the world and helping people and in your philanthropy. And I'm, I'm dying to, if you don't mind, put a pause here and segue into this, because this is one of my passions. Sure. I spent 20 years of in course. the nonprofit sector and, and, build an expertise and helping in that space. And I, I, I know that for me, it was similar to you. It wasn't driven at all by money as the nonprofit sector isn't. It was driven by a desire to have my life have a purpose and to feel the intrinsic yes. value of the, doing something meaningful and diminishing suffering. And it just, it just really uh, is a compelling way to live. And I love that you used business for the same, in the same aspect. I mean, it's very clear that you were solving a pain point for yourself, but you saw that this could be helpful to so many people. And at the end of the day, they say to become a billionaire, like help a billion people. Like at the end of the day, if you actually do something that you improved the quality of experience for not only the customer, but the actual um, ticketing agents, the airlines, the security process, you would have streamlined so much of what goes on in an airport and in the travel industry just from you solving this pain point for yourself. It's kind of cool how helping ourselves can actually help others. So I'd love to hear about your your philanthropic work and, and, and then we can segue back, but this just made me think about what people know you for, which is your desire to help for, others. And, and by the way, as a side note, uh, part of our goal when, when launching Priceline.com was to bring the price of travel down to make travel accessible to people that couldn't afford it without us. So we did care, right? We're like, if we can, if we can create a way to, to discount travel, more people could travel, which would be a great thing. So that was part of the mission at Priceline. 
uh, which was obviously before uh, b- booking came along. But um, for me, the uh, <clears throat> you know I, I started to see. So here I am in the travel business, right? And my job is to travel around the world because that's where we sell our probably deliver our product to airlines around the world and airports. And in doing so, um, you get the blessing of something that a lot of people don't get, uh, which is to see how the whole rest of the world lives. And you instantly realize how lucky you are, right? You, you see how strong your blessings are. Instead of complaining about whatever, one thing you don't have, your car is two years old and you wish you had a new one, whatever the first world problems we complain about these days. The more I traveled, the more I saw the way the rest of the world lit. And that really kind of lit the fire for me to say, I, you know, I'm out here. And, and to be fair, you know, I was very blessed in my business career, even though we had some failures. But, you know, we, we, when we sold our, that travel tech company, um, again, I'm not here to talk about money, but we sold it for over $100 million when, you know, when I was in my 20s. And, you know, then obviously... The Priceline and even UBID.com, other companies that we built became multi-billion dollar companies. So I was well aware that there's an imbalance here. And the more I traveled, the more I thought of that. And I'll just, if I may, I'll tell you the actual story that, that launched my philanthropy. Is that okay? Please. I'd love to hear that. The story on the news was that these two women who had bought this house had, were four months behind on their mortgage and were being evicted. And so on TV, all the women were crying because they were being kicked to the streets or back to their abusers, neither of them good choices. And I remember sitting and watching it. And Lindsay, I said something that all of us are guilty of saying. When you see a problem in the world, your first response is, man, they should help those women. They should do something. And at that moment, it was life-changing for me because at that moment, I thought, wait a minute. If everybody watching this story about these women is saying they should help those women, who's helping them? Because everyone's saying they should help them. So I stood up and I wrote something on my board that are the four words that (laughs) drive my life. I wrote, there is no they, it's you. And I was like, wait, it's me. And so I literally jumped out of my chair and I thought, the the money that I was feeling a little guilty about five minutes ago, Thank God that I have it. Thank God that I worked really hard, set big goals, and took good care of my customers because I can fix it. <laughs> Excuse me. So I called the news station and it's a new public story. I asked them for all the information. And the next day I did this anonymously because the story needs to be about taking care of our women, not me. But I uh, basically went and paid for the house. Um, and it changed everything because I realized, by the way, that night on the news, the, they were showing it again, and the women were telling the story. And the woman said, um, it was a miracle. Some guy that they don't know, some guy anonymously paid for the house and we're all safe again. And, you know, and we don't have to worry about it ever again. And she said, it was a miracle. And I wrote something else on my board, Lindsay. I wrote, your success is someone else's miracle. So it's like, it's not a miracle. I'm just a really hard worker. And I hire good people. I take care of them. And I build good products. That's not a miracle. But because I did that and achieved success, I can create miracles for other people. So that's where my life changed. And that's where I was like, instead of feeling bad, the shame in life is not in making money. It's in not using your money to help other people. So that launched the philanthropic side. I was like, the harder I work and the more money we make, the more people in our community we will go out and help. And we've been doing that ever since. Oh, Jeff, 
those were two remarkable lines, like Instagram worthy, Twitter worthy, (laughs) frame it on the wall. I mean, the idea that, that, you know, you are the they, like, you know, it's interesting. My son's a part of a a male kind of actualizing youth uh, project called We We Are the They. And it comes from that exact story. My friend Jimmy Rex. Yeah, my friend Jimmy Rex, like, was on this humanitarian um, project that was trying to help women get out of sex trafficking. And there was life-threatening situations. And his his partners, his girlfriend at the time, her wife was saying, um, you know, it's so dangerous and I want you to do that. Why don't you let them do it? You know, uh, said, they they can do it. And and he said, we are the they, you know, yep. so that line is by, my son's a part of this and they they do all kinds of things to help, you know, see their potential as leaders and make a difference in the world. And so I think that's really cool. I, I love that you that you saw that and they've proven actually in psychology that if, you know, in many instances, if there's a lot of people around when there's great need, people will be in paralysis believing someone else will do it. So that's yes, an actual exactly. psych- psychological phenomenon. And and to, I've always, because of that, I've always been like, I'm not going to be that guy because I learned that information. And so I've been in situations where literally a person's drowning at the beach or something. And I'm like, I'm just going, it probably wasn't smart because I'm not the best fit to do so. But, but like, you know, Sometimes it just takes someone taking that action and 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 not relinquishing the responsibility, you know. So I love I love your heart on that. And your second line about your success is someone else's miracle gave me chills all over my body. Well, like, which you know I think is thank so you. wonderful. I I uh, was giving I give this talk around the world on leaving your legacy, and a, a company invited me to visit them after that talk and. In giant letters on the wall of their company, they painted uh, your success as someone else's miracle. Uh, they did put my name under it, which they didn't need to do, but they launched a program after hearing that where every quarter, because this is what I would do, every quarter we would take a percentage of earnings and we would pick someone else in our community to help. And so this company went and launched that program and it's just amazing to see that ripple effect of more companies that have gone out and started that quarterly program. And, and, you know, just a note on that. When your company makes a donation, that matters. But when you get, when you work at a company and your boss in a meeting says, you know, we, I, the owner of the company made a donation to this. It's great, but let me show you what's different. I never made the decisions after that. I gave the money to my employees and I said, you find someone in our community that needs help and go help them. When the employees are choosing that, and picking the people and handing out the money themselves, it's a big difference over me just telling them that I wrote a corporate check. So we did we do these community giving projects every quarter, and now there's literally companies all over the world that heard me give that talk and are now doing the same. So I'm very appreciative of that uh, ripple effect of other companies saying we wanted to make a difference as well. Oh, Jeff, that's really um, valuable to hear because I think. You're absolutely right. When people are part of something and they even just get to, you know, even be the person that gets the gratification of being the face behind the gift or whatever, sure. it is so intrinsically rewarding that everybody wants to do more of it. And they're going to work harder in a company like that. They realize the value they're creating in the world. They realize the miracle they're yeah. being by being a part of the success of a company. I think that's very wise of you. I'm I'm curious, like, so that you sold your first company, start started again, was a part of seven others. One of which Priceline and Bookings.com, which has probably been, what would you say to date, your 
largest financial yes. success or you're yes, okay. Indeed. And, and I mean, those are household names. Everyone in the world knows about them. How does it feel to have made something that everyone in the world knows about, that everyone's been touched and not just once, but now multiple times? I mean, what is that like for you as, yeah, as you get someone texting you randomly or when you see the impact of your creation and your hard work and your life's um, significance? That's pretty phenomenal, I would think. You know, it's rewarding in a way that the money isn't. Obviously, I'm not pretending that we didn't, you know, care. We were trying to be profitable and I'm not pretending that I didn't like the fact that we made a bunch of money. But that that can I guess that can go away, right? You can make bad decisions and lose all that. But the having impact is something that stays with you forever. Not it's not just seeing for me like just seeing people using kiosks in the airport, but you know, I remember the very first time I was walking in the mall and this is exactly what happened. Two women, I was going to meet somebody, two women were walking ahead of me. And the one woman said, wait, I thought you couldn't go to your sister's wedding because of the price. And she said, well, I found a way to get there and save a bunch of money. So for that reason alone, we got to go to the wedding. And the other woman said, oh. how did you? And she said, Priceline.com. It saved me so much money that I was able to afford to go to the wedding. And she said, thanks to Priceline. I was standing right behind them. I'm sure that if wow. I had it's us, she would have said, sure it is, random guy in the mall. Um, but I was <laughs> there grinning. <laughs> I was sitting there grinning because I was like, man, we actually did something. So it's important because for a lot of people, a paycheck alone, a paycheck is important, but it's not enough. Being able to impact whatever industry you're in really matters. Because for the rest of your life, you get the feel, you get the feeling of knowing that your hard work changed something. You changed the course of your industry. And so yeah. I'm glad you asked that because it is a big deal and it is important. And it feels really good when you did something that made a difference out there. When you can look back, I tell people all the time, we used to have in one of our nonprofits, we have a sign that says, let's go out and make a dent in history. Because it'd be nice at the end of your life to look back and said, I actually left a little mark uh, as I went through this world. So impact matters. Absolutely, it does. And wow, what a stunning impact you've had. I'm curious what advice you give people that you meet. I mean, you're speaking to large crowds, you're on podcasts, you're, you've got a platform. And I would imagine a lot of people like even me, and I consider myself one who has had the privilege of being a part of some things that were pretty uh, successful or, or had some impact. But I honestly, like, it's no comparison. You're just like a Goliath in terms of what you've done and accomplished in your life. And I think to myself, it's got to feel for a lot of people. I know for me, it's like, man, how did you do this again and again? Emmys and Grammys and uh, anything you touch, it's almost like you have the Midas touch. What, what advice would you give to somebody where it feels like, well, I'm just no Jeff Hoffman. I'm not this magical, mystical okay. creature that everything I do is successful because it might feel out of reach with the average person as, they, as they're striving. And as you said, experiencing failure and can't figure it out. And, and what advice do you have to, for people to contextualize sure. meteoric success, you know? Perfectly funny question, Uh, because uh, a lot of people do feel that way until they find out that the only reason we were successful is because we had the best people. So the truth Mm. is, it's not about you anyway, right? My life changed not because I gave more orders as the CEO and told people what to do. My life changed when I realized that the key to success is to surround yourself with people smarter than you and take care of them. So you're right. When people are looking and saying, well, I'm not her or him, 
I can't do what they did. Um, neither could I. Uh, the only reason <laughs> I was successful is because I spent so much time. I don't spend all my time running my businesses. I spend a lot of my time hunting for rock stars and talking them into working for me. Your real job is to create the place where the best people in your industry all want to work for you and never want to leave. When I sold that first company, um, I was doing a news interview and the woman's like, you had a 1,200% a year revenue increase in profits and sales and all numbers. She said, amazing accomplishments, Mr. Hoffman. What are you most proud of? But on the way to the studio, Lindsay, the woman that ran HR for me called me and she was all excited. I said, what? She said, Jeff, I just verified something that I wanted to tell you. I said, what? She said, in all the years from the day you started the company to the day you sold it, nobody that works for you has ever quit. And I was stunned. I said, that's wow. the coolest thing I've done. And I don't know how. So I started calling people and saying, why don't you guys quit? And they're like, is this a problem, Jeff? Do you want us to quit? I said, no, I just don't know why no one ever quits. And they started telling me. They said, because we think that you think that you work for us, not us for you. We think, and I didn't know that. I was just doing what seemed wow. natural. But it's a servant leadership model. My job was to get really good people and then just take care of them. And people started saying, we've never been somewhere where the boss feels like he's our employee. And I didn't, like I said, I didn't know that. But I apparently, whatever I was doing, I was like, tell me again so I can do it on purpose next time. Um, so surrounding yourself with people smarter than you, taking good care of them so they never want to leave is a ticket to success, not you working harder and working longer. I get that all the time. People call and say, I'm working harder and longer than I ever have. Why am I not growing faster? And the answer is because you're the one in the way. You, you grow when you realize that real leaders don't create followers. Real leaders create other leaders, right? A lot of times, Lizzie, you, you, you'll, you'll understand this. So I've been criticized by people because I don't go build social media following, right? They're like, you need to do everything you can to get more followers. And I said, my goal is not creating followers, it's creating leaders. If you want to see- wow. My followers, go look at the followers on the Instagram accounts of the people that I've raised, basically. The leaders I've created, go see how they're doing, because that's where my success lies. My job is to create leaders, and that's what made me successful. Wow. Jeff, these are stunning insights. They're, they seem like things people just take for granted. When you speak it, it's like so obvious. But yet, yeah. as your employees pointed out to you, you're the only leader that made them feel that way. So, you know, my mentor invested in two publicly traded companies and he had it by, he was the, he was the most prolific and successful options trader in history. Okay. I feel like I speak about him on every episode of every podcast. Yeah. And he, he's my Gandalf and Dumbledore and, and all wrapped in, Yoda all wrapped into one, but <laughs> he, he passed away about a year ago. And that's probably where my heart, I always think when I hear something, a, a, a truth, a nugget, a capital T eternal truth like you just shared, I think of him because he gave me so many things along the way. But one sure. of the things that he did is he took a lot of these advice, uh, sorry, these um, analysts from the stock market, and he looked at leaders who had character. And, he, and qualitatively, it can become quantitative in clusters. So like, how do they treat their employees? How do they treat their spouse? What are their beliefs about humanity? How do they treat their enemies? What are their corporate social responsibility purview? All these things they can look at to get a sense of the character of the leader. And he found in this research that only 1% of these publicly traded companies had CEOs of, of wow. character, 
it's really low. And so you're actually quite a unicorn. Like this, this other centric servant leadership, people say it all day, but I'm sitting here listening to you and I feel convicted. I'm like, I could do so much better. I can do so much better. Um, you know, I, I love the people that work for me and I love the people that I've worked with through my career and I do try to take care of them. But I just think, man, I do. I, what I end up doing is feeling like a beast of burden and hustling more to take care of them. What if I just got behind them in a more direct, intrinsic way? Exactly. I love the idea of how you said, I love the idea of how you said you're, you, you find rock stars and convince them to be with you. Do you think, though, part of it was that you had a great idea, though? Because if you don't have their there, how do you convince a rock star to come? I mean, you yeah, can be it, as flattering or as helpful or as believe, you know, deferring to them as possible. But if you don't have something of real potential, and I think that might be part of you're being really genuine in your answer, but I think you're missing and maybe your great gifting. Maybe you see what people don't so see. You are you are right because they'll they will say, "Man, I'd love to help you because I like you, but your idea is not good." So you're right. So let's talk about that for a minute. Um, the uh, because so many, you know, today, uh, our, our nonprofit is called the Global Entrepreneurship Network that I'm the chairman of. Um, we are now, this is crazy to me, Lindsay, that we built this to this, but we're on the ground in 200 countries uh, where wow. we teach entrepreneurship, but we don't teach it for business or money. We're, we're, it's self-determination. There's people all over, like if you go to a village in Africa, there's someone really smart there that wants to make things better for everyone in their village. They just don't know how. So we teach them how. That's my personal commitment for the rest of my life is to teach as many people as I can, whatever I know about turning an idea into a business. Uh, but it starts, you said it right, it starts with finding an idea. And what I see when I listen to entrepreneurs all over the world is typically people will say something like, hey, look, man, I invented this. I created this and now I'm going to go sell them. And I'm like, who exactly was looking for one of those? And they say, I don't know, we'll find out when I start spending marketing money, as opposed to Here's the other way. Instead of you having some idea that you hope people like, um, the world is filled with problems. And I notice one of the traits of great entrepreneurs is that when everybody else is complaining about a problem and then going back to what they were doing, I mean, you have to run an errand at lunch. You have an hour at lunch. It takes two and a half. When you get back, you're upset. These idiots, they're incompetent. It shouldn't take two and a half hours to do this. Why don't they know what they're doing? It's what everybody else does. And then they go back to what they are doing. The world's most successful entrepreneurs say, wait, what is the problem again? And they ask this question. Is this a big problem that solves, that impacts lots of people? That's me standing in an airport line and watching the line stretch an hour across the airport and thinking, is this yeah. okay? Because everyone's in this line. The second thing that entrepreneurs do to be successful is they say, is there a better, is there a better way? Could I fix this big problem that everyone has? And if the, if the answer to that, if you think it's yes, then they do a third thing no one else does. They say, you guys go home without me. I'm going to stay here until this is fixed. So no, well, solving we'll an say. actual problem that everyone else is complaining about, instead of trying to invent something you hope people will buy. So I'm going to say that the reason that maybe my ideas were good is because I didn't think them up in my office. I came across them in the world. I do not... Yeah. When people tell me, man, you've been really lucky, what I tell them is I've been really engaged. I don't sit in my office very much at all. I'm out in the world as much as I can because two things are out there. One, the good ideas because the problems are out there. If you're out in the world and you're encountering problems, you say, man, this needs to be fixed. I'm going to own this one. And the other thing that's out there is those rock star people that you need to meet. <laughs> you need to yes. That network of people and say, 
don't you think this would be a great problem if we could fix it? I have an idea how. So glad you brought that up because you do have to have a real idea, but you're not going to find those in your conference room. You're going to find those by being out in the world. I love that. And, you know, I'm seeing this theme through your life and your way, your way of being, Jeff. And it's so stunning to me. And it validates what I hope is true about humanity and that you're always, you're always looking externally. You're, you're other centric. You're thinking of others. You're seeing, look at their gifts. Wow. And, and amplifying it and then seeing how to harness it or create leadership. You're with the entrepreneurship. How do I solve a problem everyone else is complaining about? How can I give? And there's, there's something so abundant in your posture to the world that I find so unbelievably well, cool. Thank you. Tell me, that means yeah, a lot absolutely. From you. Yeah. You're amazing. I'm so thrilled to be, I'm sitting here going, I just, I, I feel like I collect people and I get really excited yeah. about people that are, you know, that are really special. And you are like my, again, my mentor uses this phrase, a squishy freak. And this is so fun. <laughs> you look freak. That. Freaks, freaks are outliers and they are people that kind of beat to their own drum, right? They're different. They're the, the only boss that ever made me feel like I worked for them or they're the kind of person that, you know, invents the first ever disrupts the market of, you know, a new, a new technology invention. Um, freaks are people that will, you know, do the thing nobody else will do and stay home. They are everything you've described about your ethos. And oftentimes freaks, because they end up having often a lot of success for being outside of the dorm and being an outlier, or they get their hearts get hardened from beating to their own drums, or their pride catches up with them. And the squishy ones stay soft in their hearts. So I kind of, I like hunt squishy freaks. So I'm just (laughs) super excited. You're going to be like a top shelf. I absolutely love that. And I like collecting people because I fundamentally believe that the quality of your life is 100% dependent upon the people in it, not the things in it. Oh, So collecting people is exactly the right way to live a great life. Oh, that's so unbelievably true. And I, and I think the older we get, the more we deeply intrinsically understand yes. that because um, the quality of interaction and the co-regulation is human critters. We, we, you know, we are herd animals. So when we're with other people that vibrate in a compatible, beautiful way with yep. us energetically, everything's better. You find solutions to the resource issues or you the things you need materialize when you have that right. I feel like that's like the foundation of moving it, forward. So I love this. Because I happen to have a lot of, uh, whatever, high-profile, successful friends. And one of my friends one day said to me, do you have to like win some kind of championship to be friends with you? And I was offended. <laughs> I said, I don't care what my friends have accomplished. But I was driving home after that. It's funny because the guy that asked me that was Derek Jeter, the baseball player. And, oh, okay. Yeah. So I- <laughs> and I was like, that guy said that, right? He's won five World Series or whatever. But yeah, Derek, yeah. I, just because I have some friends that have been successful, but it made first I was offended when I was driving home. I was thinking about it, and I realized what it is is that I'm attracted to a set of yeah. traits and attitudes, and so by definition, those people will probably achieve whatever they put their mind to. Because I remember when I called the next day, I said, "I don't care if you never played baseball. That's not what interests me about you. But the things about you that I like." are the reason that you're probably going to win the World Series. So collect out <laughs> of people around you that help you grow, that you admire and respect, and that you learn from each other. When you realize the traits you value, just what you said, as you get older, it's, you're, it's easier to jettison or avoid the people that just are, don't add anything. And it's a lot easier to identify the people that you're like, man, I want to spend more time around her 
uh, because she lifts and energizes and helps me grow. So I'm, I'm glad you brought that up. <laughs> so true. Well, thank you. Thank you, Jeff, for, for validating that thinking and, and for being somebody who's just like a perfect embodiment of that to me. Tell me a little bit more about your philanthropic efforts. So you said it was the Global Entrepreneurship Network. Did I say that right? Well, there's, there's three that I've been involved in. One is okay. Jen, Global Entrepreneurship Network. Um, and we have a really simple mission, as I said, uh, to help anybody anywhere start and grow a business. And the reason why is it's not about business and money. It's about uh, dignity. Uh, it's about um, a freedom. We're teaching people. I'll give you a perfect example. I've probably visited or worked with Muslim women in every Muslim country, teaching them wow. how to start a business at home online. So if you take uh, a, a Muslim woman who is in a situation where she's not allowed to have a job and she's really not even much allowed to leave home, she'll never get out of that situation. But what if we taught her how to start her own business online while she's sitting at home, uh, become a CEO, generate products, customers, revenues, and one day she can pack up and go live her own life because she doesn't need to be dependent on anyone anymore. So um, our, our goal is just teaching people how to help themselves by sharing with them the, the skill set and the mindset of entrepreneurship. So that's what we do at Chad, but we work in 200 countries now, which still blows me away. But, uh, you know, I'm, uh, it's funny that I do professional speaking now because I have, have never had any training. I'm not a speaker. I'm just a guy that builds stuff, right? My focus time is on execution. Let's go build it while everyone else is talking about it. I used to have a sign on door as a CEO, Lindsay, and my CEO door. If you walked up to my office, it said, ideas are welcome here, but execution is worship. I don't, by the time, the time people spend explaining stuff to me, I'm thinking you could have built a prototype in the time you spent in my office talking about it. I'm the one that would, that, that always impatient to go build. So I'm pretty thrilled that we've built that in 200 countries. The other one that I have, I have my own youth charity called World Youth Horizons. And I started that. Part of the reason I started that was, because when I would write a check to donate to a lot of nonprofits or charities, I didn't always know where the money went and I couldn't always get a report. And so I just started my own. Uh, and people that donate to World Youth Horizons, 100% of all proceeds goes to children. Everybody that works for it is a volunteer and any other expenses I pay. So we guarantee 100% pass through. And you can talk to the children around the world that your money went to. Go see them. We'll give you their information and you can go see for yourself. So in that, our, our simple goal is that there are a lot of children in the world that will never have a chance at a better life because of a situation they were born into that was out of their control. So I'll give you a perfect example. Um, we, we built, we're now building another youth home. I don't use the word orphanages. Another youth home in Ogata, Uganda. In Uganda, a, a lot of the parents all killed each other in civil war. So children were left in the jungles basically to die. So we round up those children, we build homes, we raise them in our homes, we feed them, and we dress them all up and send them to school so they can get out of the youth home by getting an education and getting a job. So we do that in places like Uganda and Ethiopia, but we also work with youth all over the United States as well. So that's my youth charity. And then one more, the third thing that I've been involved in since I retired from being a CEO, um, is a nonprofit called The Unreasonable Group. Uh, it's named that, or the George Bernard Shaw quote. He said that 
a reasonable person adapts to the world around them. An unreasonable person expects the whole world to adapt to them. Therefore, progress is dependent upon the unreasonable. So the unreasonable group is a nonprofit that's job is to find all the entrepreneurs, all the people crazy enough to think they can change the world and let's just help them do it. And we do that by mentoring them, by providing access to financing. Um, to date, at Unreasonable, uh, we've helped 360 startups that are all solving social problems, right? You can't be selling hotel rooms or kiosks like I was. These are people that are solving problems that align with the United Nations 17 SDGs. You're bringing clean drinking water to people that don't have it. You're feeding people without food, et cetera. Um, uh, we've worked with 360 startups that work in 187 countries, um, collectively have raised over $11 billion to fund social entrepreneurship. And we've had positively impacted, um, particularly proud of this, over a billion lives, meaning that we gave them food, water, off-grid electricity, something that improved their lives that they didn't have before our companies got to them. So that's what I've been doing since I stopped being uh, a CEO. And it's way more fun and fulfilling than running companies and making money, even though, to be fair, if you do that first thing first, it puts you in a position to do the second thing. Wow, Jeff. Uh, you know, I hope you can accomplish something with your life. It's, it's pretty <laughs> dismal. Um, I, You know, I'm listening to you go over these three philanthropic initiatives, and they feel very complementary to each other in many ways, even though they're in their own vertical. Um, and I'd love to just touch base on each of them. So the Global Entrepreneurship Network, how can people, A, you said helping anyone anywhere. So like I've yep. got friends that have startups and businesses and ideas that are in the first world. Is this for developed world? Is this for people living under a certain level of abject poverty? Or is it literally anyone anywhere? And no, what are the services you provide? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. The back organization, it's anyone, anywhere. And it's it, it it's GEN, G-E-N, Global Entrepreneurship Network, genglobal.org. And we provide everything from mentorship to access to our finance network. Um, we provide uh, all kinds of online content, uh, teaching you marketing, teaching you finance. So we have a global network you have access to and tons of content on how to start a business and how to grow a business and all the things you need from how to register your business to HR to legal. So all kinds of resources open to anybody. Um, quick example of other kinds of things we do with a partner. We're partnered with a uh, a, a female-led organization called Hello Alice. Uh, they're friends of mine, but there are two amazing women that started this. And like we just announced last week, a new program. So little small business owners can get a credit card for their business because they either have bad credit or they have no credit history. And so we just announced last week, for example, a $70 million fund where you'll go apply for a $5,000 credit card, which you're not going to get because you have either bad or no credit. We will back the $5,000 with the bank and tell them to give you the credit card. So we are small businesses get credit so they can operate. They that, that, That's an example. During the pandemic, uh, at Gen, we gave out ten and twenty thousand dollar grants. Gave out millions of dollars to to small businesses who just couldn't sell their product because of COVID. So we're open to anybody, and we offer a broad range of services at Gen. It's a nonprofit. 
incredible, Jeff. Is Are you predominantly funding that or what is your mechanism for funding to make that sustainable you know, and scalable? Fortunately, so I still serve as chairman of it, but we have an unbelievable mm-hmm. team. Fortunately, we have a lot of organizations that believe in us and fully fund it so we don't have to. An example Wonderful. is our, our biggest funder is an organization called the Kauffman Foundation. Uh, which is the world's largest foundation dedicated solely to funding entrepreneurship around the world. The example is they write very large checks to us because they love what we do. So we're blessed that we have donors that fund Jen and we don't have to. We just have to get the work done. Phenomenal. And so you're in 200 countries. Is that in that you're because your your services are digital and it's kind of it, it has oh no, scaled we have through people. We have people on the ground to help you in your country that know your culture and know your country. So we've actually built out a network. So we have the digital services, but we have country managers uh, on our teams that are in all these countries that are on the ground that we tend people. Before I talked to you, I was just on the line with a young entrepreneur in Somalia. And he's asking, I need help. I have an idea. I have no idea how to build or run a business. So we have somebody in his country that we can say, go meet her and sit down with her. She lives where you live. Oh my gosh, Jeff, I can't believe you're doing this with your own time being in this demand. I think that is so cool. And um, how do you decide? Because now, so you're retired from like the private sector, it sounds like. Do you have a family office now where you do a lot of investing to perpetuate some yeah, of what that, you built? Yes, that is through World Youth. So if people okay. want to see in worldyouthhorizons.com, but Yes, everything that I do personally that I'm funding is through World Youth. And the focus, even though it's not entirely, most ever, all the charitable work I do is focused on children. So I, that's what's most important to me. Or, or maybe a broader term is I prefer to give my money to people who literally might die without it. People whose lives depend on someone else because they can't help themselves. We want to help them. So that's where our that's where our family office funding goes. Incredible. So, and then do you do private sector investments to perpetuate that a potential to get? Like, I'm sure you do as a family um, office, right? Yeah, not as much anymore. Uh, not really focused on an, on outside investing. We're more focused on giving away what we have, and uh, and we, we do have a lot of partners. There's a lot of people that have called me from a lot of places and said, "Love what you're doing. I'd like to help. Where do I write a check?" So. We get a lot of, you know, a lot of people would do an investment to bring more money in to the nonprofit, but we have a lot of people that reach out and say, and for anybody listening, you know, every additional dollar, even though I don't go out literally asking people to donate to World Youth Horizons, every dollar that comes in changes another child's life. So we do have partners that step up and say, we want to help give kids a chance at better life in the U.S. as well. In a lot of places, and and uh, and people keep supporting the effort. So I'm not really, I don't run a fund, an investment fund, or anything. That's not what I do for a living. Well, that's um, that's really helpful to know, Jeff. I'd love to find some time with you offline and talk about World Youth Horizons because I spent ten Please. years. I spent ten years working in the vulnerable children's sector. I've I've yes, I'm I've aware. Kind of had this amazing opportunity to fit in, um, kind of a, a kind of a, a third party position where we've helped the sector at large, working with hundreds of organizations. And I think it's so important, and I couldn't agree with you more, if you go further upstream to most of societal ills, things like human trafficking and mental health and poverty and incarceration, and you go, you look at many of the saddest, most tragic aspects of human suffering, it's because we neglected 
vulnerable children earlier upstream. Yes. And so getting kids having their basic needs met. And and for me, the most uh, we've learned this and research has indicated this, all the titular heads agree from academia that they also need permanent loving families because the trauma and the psychology that happens from not being in a, in a home. And so we've spent a lot of time trying to deinstitutionalize them. So I'd love to talk with you more about it because it sounds like- Yes, please, let, let's let school do that. Yeah. Yeah, because getting them into families, right? The, the, the kind of the shift yep. that's happening, the paradigm in the sector is that through prevention, reunification, and or adoption, we can get these kids in families. That's the best ultimate solution. In the meantime, you know, uh, immediate care, like these kids that in Uganda, like, you know, the work in Rwanda is a great case study. But, um, you know, uh, President Kagame, in partnership with uh, Rick Warren, the mega pastor from California, created what was called the peace plan. And they had pastors throughout Rwanda after the genocide and the civil war when there was huge proliferation of orphans, they had them get soaked up by um, families that were in congregations. And by having a hyper-focus of getting them out of orphanages, it relieved the government of welfare and institutional care and the consequences that come from that, putting emphasis and um, back into families and supporting families. And I, that's where I see like the synergy of all the pieces you're doing between entrepreneurship um, I love the unreasonable strategy. I'd love to talk to you more about that. And then um, the stuff you've done with children. And I think there are really good institutional temporary situations that you need these kids. They're right now today, they're starving. They're living in trash dump heaps. They're, they're you know, malnutrition. They're, they're being exploited on the streets. They're being trafficked, all these things. We can get them into loving-based yes. situations. But if we can repurpose long-term warehousing into community centers, that actually focus on family-based solutions, we found such tremendous value in speaking, like in that purview. So I'd love to talk with you more about that because I think what I you're doing is really I could not agree with you more. And in fact, I was, not that long ago, I was teaching entrepreneurship inside a federal prison uh, in California. And inmates were telling me, when I pulled them aside one-on-one, -on -one, they said, look, uh, you know, all the, the, the crime that got me convicted came from the gang. I've joined a gang that ran drugs or whatever. And when you would say, why'd you dry, dry, join a gang? And they said, because that's the only family I ever had. I hear that Absolutely. over and over again. So like, at least I had someone who cared about me. I never had any family connection. So yes, I look forward to that conversation. Oh, Jeff. Well, you know, we're just coming up here at the top of the hour. I can't thank you enough for your time. I'm so deeply inspired by you. And I get excited about people. But this is on a level that I'm like stunned. I'm going to be calling... <laughs> all my best friends would be like, I just met the most remarkable squishy freak. Um, <laughs> I'm so thrilled to have met you and to hear about your life. Thank you for being you. Thank you for Thank you so um, leaning for in like you have to the world and being the leader you are. I can't imagine um, what, what an incredible ecosystem you've built around you just by being you. So I'd love to find any way to help, help in any capacity and, and have your goodness rub off on me, Jeff. Full disclosure. Like I just, want to hang with you so All right. um, we thank will, you again we will continue this conversation then you and i offline thank you jeff lovely to have you today do you need help with the next steps for your financial plan think capita capita is a financial network built around you they have a team of financial advisors cpas estate attorneys medicare providers and social security experts to help you accomplish your financial goals Call to schedule a complimentary consultation at 801-566-5058 or visit their website at www.capitafinancialnetwork.com. You can also check out their financial education podcast, The Financial Call, available on Apple, Google, Spotify, and YouTube.